continue our series in Exodus today, Exodus 18, 1 to 27. Now Jethro, the priest of Midian and father-in-law of Moses, heard of everything God had done for Moses and for his people Israel, and how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. After Moses had sent away his wife, Zipporah, his father-in-law Jethro received her and her two sons. One son was named Gershon, for Moses said, I have become a foreigner in a foreign land. The other was named Eliezer, for he said, My father's God is my helper. He saved me from the sword of Pharaoh. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, together with Moses' sons and wife, came to him in the wilderness, where he camped near the mountain of God. Jethro had sent word to him, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons. So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and went, went and bowed down and kissed him. They greeted each other and then went into the tent. Moses told his father-in-law about everything the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake and about all the hardships they had met along the way, how the Lord had saved them. Jethro was delighted to hear about all the good things the Lord had done for Israel in rescuing them from the hand of the Egyptians. He said, Praise be to the Lord, who has rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians and of Pharaoh, and who rescued the people from the land of the Egyptians. Now I know the Lord is greater than all other gods, for he did this to those who had treated Israel arrogantly. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and other sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat a meal with Moses' father-in-law in the presence of God. The next day, Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people. They stood around him from morning till evening. When his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, What is this you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone as judge while all these people stand around from morning till evening? Moses answered him, Because the people come to, seek, come to me to seek God's will. Whenever they have a dispute, it is brought to me, and I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and instructions. Moses' father-in-law replied, What you are doing is not good. You and these people will, who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Listen to me now, and I will give you some advice, and may God be with you. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to him. Teach them his decrees and instructions and show them the way they are to live and how they are to behave. But select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Have them serve as judges for the people at all times but have them bring every difficult case to you. Simple cases, they can decide themselves. That will make your load lighter because they will share it with you. If you do this and, God's, and God so commands, you will be able to stand the strain and all these people will go home satisfied. Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything he said. He chose capable men from all Israel and made them leaders of all the people, officials over thousands, Hundreds, fifties, and tens. They served as judges for the people at all times. Difficult cases they brought to Moses, but the simple ones they decided themselves. Then Moses sent his father-in-law on his way, and Jethro returned to his own country. Matthew.
morning to you all. There's an old song, it's from the 90s, it's by the singer Chris Isaac, and it's entitled Things Gone Wrong. And I thought about that song, because last week I think that was the, the soundtrack of our, our passage. There was no water, there was no food, there, were, there was grumbling in the wilderness, the, the Israelites were tested and they failed a couple times. But I think the song for today, if I had a song, would be Things Gone Right. Because things seem to go right in our passage today. Uh, there's, a, there's a father who's reunited with his uh, wife and two children. Instead of grumbling uh, and threatening to stone Moses, as we saw last week, the Israelites actually go to Moses for counsel. And, and perhaps most shockingly of all, a father-in-law takes it upon himself to criticize the way his son-in-law is doing his job, tells him the right way to do it, and it works out great for everyone. How often does that happen? I'm, I'm studying the Gospel of Mark with a couple guys, and, and one of the guys, he, he, he's always like, man, these disciples, they're, this is his language, they're dullards, they just can't get it. And I feel like I'm always coming to the defense of the disciples, but it's true, like in the New Testament, in the Old Testament, things go wrong. People get things wrong a lot, right? This is the reason why we, we're not followers of Moses, we're not followers of Peter, we're followers of Jesus. He's the only one that gets it all right, but People do sometimes get it right. I want to highlight some of those things for you today. We're traveling. We're on, we've left Egypt. We're on our way to Mount Sinai. And, uh, and actually, this mountain that's been on the horizon for so long, it's, it's right there. We're right in the shadow of Mount Sinai. Somewhere not far from where they're camped is, is this mountain. And this is where this, this big adventure that Moses finds himself all started. This is where he heard the the voice from the burning bush. And this is one of the things the voice told him. One day after you've brought the people out of, out of Egypt, you're going to find yourself back here, back on this mountain. And this is going to be a sign for you. Okay, so first thing that goes right in our passage today is Moses gets a sign. Moses is back at the mountain, Mount Horeb, Mount Sinai, same mountain, just as God had said. Moses is on the right track. The Israelites are on the right track. Doesn't always feel that way. Didn't feel that way last week. They, they, our passage last week ended with the question, is the Lord among us or not? And answer that question is, is resounding yes, the Lord is with us. Right? Sometimes, sometimes God calls us to, to scary things. I think sometimes when we hear that call from God, we, we would love a sign right away for God to tell us this is, this is the right path. We often, I don't know about your experience, I usually don't get that sign. I think what often we find is as we go, as Moses is doing here, as we're along the way, as we've already set off, we get a sign. We get a reassurance that despite the hardship, the weariness, which Moses is clearly feeling, God is with us. But not only does Moses get a sign, he gets, he gets this trip down memory lane. I mean, this is, old, this is Moses' old stomping ground. I mean, he spent 40, 40 years in this part of the world. I'm sure as he's, they're coming in, Moses is like, anybody who will listen to him, he's probably telling Stories about the good old days of, of tending sheep here and um, how like when he was alone by himself on the mountain, he didn't have all these, these people to deal with. This is also, remember where, I mean, not right here where Moses, like he got married, he met his wife, Zipporah, and we're like, whatever happened to Zipporah? Do you remember the last time we saw Zipporah in our passage? She, uh, she had a flint knife in her hand. She had just uh, cut the foreskin off of her son in order to save her husband by touching his feet, okay, who had just gotten jumped by the Lord. Do you, do you remember that bizarre story? Like, 
I, we have no idea why Zipporah and Moses are separated, but I don't think it would have been totally unreasonable if after that traumatic event, Zipporah was like, I'm taking the kids to the grandparents. <laughs> we don't know. Again, that's my speculation. Don't quote that as scripture. <laughs> but they're reunited again, right? There's another, something else is going right. Zipporah and the two sons and Moses, they're, they're reunited together. Moses goes out to his father. He, he greets him by bowing down and kissing him. He accords respect and honor. So uh, this might, to us Westerners, this probably sounds a little strange. I almost guarantee this probably doesn't sound strange to a bell. Because one of the gifts to me of living in West Africa was I was able to immerse myself and live in a court culture where huge amounts of respect and honor were accorded to the elders in that culture. So like, could not be more different than our own culture. Uh, I just, okay. Um, which is like, think about our culture. Who do we honor? Who do we celebrate? Who gets, it's, it's young people, right? We tend to idolize youth. It's not like that in other places in the world. Uh, and so there'd be, for example, in Benin, there'd be times where older woman, older man walks in and you would you'd bow to them. But there's other times where like the elder, the patriarch, the matriarch comes in and the only response is to get, is to get on the ground. Like, just like Moses is doing. And, and think, like, think what you want about that. Maybe you wouldn't want to do it. But I think we could learn a lot from that culture in terms of respecting our elders. I was talking to Pastor Sam, who's from Nigeria. He preached here. It's probably been a couple months. But he was talking about how, we're talking about how in Nigeria and Benin, it's not respectful to call people who are particularly older than you by their first name. And he was talking about how his Sam's son, who's, I think he grew up in the United States. I think he's probably you know, more, you know, absorbed this culture, but he still can't get himself to call his father-in-law by his name. It's just been so ingrained to him that you just don't do that. You don't uh, call your father-in-law by their first name. So, so here's a tip when, when reading the Bible. Watch out when words are repeated, okay? When you see a word in a passage that's, that's said again and again, it's probably because the biblical author is trying to tell you something. And in our passage for today, we see this word father-in-law 10 times, 10 times. Like go, not right now, but go back later and just read the passage and watch out for father-in-law. It's everywhere, right? This is, not, this is not a story about Moses and Jethro. This is a story about Moses and his father-in-law. And time and time again, we're reminded in the passage of this dynamic in the relationship. Moses is deferring to his father-in-law, right? He, he bows down. We talked about that. Uh, he, he's listening to the advice his father-in-law gives him. Notice here, notice the humility of Moses. You know, if you haven't noticed, like Moses is kind of a, a big deal right now, okay? Moses, he, you know, he left this mountain. He was a shepherd, comes back, just helped lead the most dramatic rescue of an enslaved people in history. And word, I mean, word is starting to spread. Word, that's how Jethro finds out. Word gets back to Jethro what happens and so the priest of Midian goes uh, and travels to see Moses. And yet it's Moses honoring the father-in-law. Notice the humility. He gets that right. And we see, we see Moses' humility not just uh, in interacting with his father-in-law here, but look with me how, we'll go up to the first slide, look how Moses recounts what happened in Egypt. In verse 8, we read this. Moses told his father-in-law about everything the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake and about all the hardships they had met along the way, and how the Lord had saved them. Okay, notice something's missing from this story. You know what's missing 
Moses. Doesn't say a word about himself. He just led the great escape from Egypt. Like, think about this. It's hard, I think it's hard for some of us to eat our supper these days without kind of broadcasting all the heroics we went through on social media to make that supper. I mean, it's, we want the world to know what we've done. Moses has just parted the Red Sea. Doesn't say a word about it. This would be the equivalent of Moses um, today, like failing to get that selfie of him, parted Red Sea behind him, smiling. Yeah, you can see it, right? It would be the best selfie ever. Doesn't do it. Doesn't mention it. Doesn't say a word about it. You know, the, you, the message that you and I get in our culture is that we should always be at the center of the story. If you don't believe that, trust me, that is the message you're getting, is that you are at the center of the story always. Not Moses. Moses, who actually has some kind of claim to be at the center of the story, doesn't even mention himself. He's humble. He knows this story is not ultimately about him. It's about God. Moses gets it right. We're getting lots of things right today. Next day, uh, after this reunion, they eat this meal. Next day, they're out. Uh, you know, Moses has got a job to do. He gets up, walks over, climbs up in his, his seat where he serves as judge and begins the day. And his day consists of this. Like, think about if you'd want this job. One dispute after another. So I got four kids. And one of the things I noticed that like with each additional child, the possibilities for disputes just exponentially increase. Like child one can now dispute with child four, child two with child three, child one with child three. Uh, this is why uh, Doris is my hero. I'm sure her kids are great, but I can't imagine the complexities of that many children and the disputes that inevitably come in a family. And what any parent will tell you is this is exhausting. It is exhausting. And here's Moses, like he gets up, he starts his day, that's it, all day, dispute after dispute after dispute. And, and his father-in-law sees this and said, this is not good. Okay, just imagine this for a second. Your father-in-law comes to visit you, not a lot going on, he's kind of bored, so he decides to stroll over to your place of work. And the first thing you hear is, what you're doing is not good. I want to give you some advice. Like, how, how are you right now in that interaction with your father-in-law? Even if you have a great father-in-law, like, I, I'm sure all of us are tensing up a little bit here. Jethro tells him, Moses, you can't do this alone. You're going you're gonna to wear yourself out. This is totally unsustainable. You need to do what we call up a Midian. It's called delegating. You got to find some help. You, gotta, you need to find some capable men, some, some men who fear God, who are trustworthy and, and, and hate dishonest gain, and make them officials over these these thousands and tens and fifties and, and, and hundreds. Okay, they can decide the simple cases, you decide the difficult ones. Like this is gonna be a win-win for everyone, okay? They're, it's gonna be good for them. You're not gonna wear yourself out. It's gonna be good for everyone. I don't, like, I don't know what Moses is thinking right now. We don't, we don't hear that. Like I, it's gotta sting a little bit to hear his management style critiqued this way. Maybe it, maybe it also stung Moses a little bit to realize he's not as indispensable as he thought. Like he, maybe he thought, I'm the only one that can do this. And Jethro tells him, no, no, you're not the only one that can do this. Whatever Moses is feeling right now, he gets it right. He gets it right because he doesn't let his ego stop him from hearing good advice. Okay, no, I don't think anyone likes to be criticized. It takes humility and wisdom to be like, you're right. Okay, Moses, Moses gets it. He thinks Jethro is right. 
Part of being a leader is knowing how to give away power appropriately. Those of you who have owned your own business and have had employees and know in the business world, you've got to learn how to, to delegate, how to give away power appropriately. Those of you in our congregation who are administrators, you know this. You've got to learn how to delegate, how to give away responsibility, uh, power appropriately. Okay? Moses does that. Uh, you know, just closer to home, I've got to say, I've been really impressed with uh, with the Midway service teams. And, and as we've kind of pushed the work of our congregation out and spread it out, we've got, we've got great events planned this summer. We had an excellent potato bar last week. We've got new hymnals coming. We have a, a welcome team. We've got a foosball table downstairs for the kids, for the kids, I think. Pretty awesome. Organizations, even church organizations, don't run too well when everything gets funneled through one person. Okay? Moses, you can't do it all. It's not good for him. It's not good for the people. He's got to learn to discern certain qualities in people and then train and empower them to do their work. Okay? Makes sense, I think. But here's what, here's what I want you to notice about this. Why doesn't God just tell Moses this? Have you thought about that? Like that, up until the point in our story of Exodus, whenever Moses basically has a problem, no food, no water, Israelites are about to stone him, he goes to God, God gives him instructions, and then he puts those into practice, and it works well. Moses, in our passage for today, he, he again needs help, but this time the instructions come not from God, but from Jethro, his father-in-law. Okay, so let me just like, I'm going to try to be super practical for a little bit here. Sometimes maybe I'm not practical, though. To you, here's, here's my, to you son and daughters-in-law out there, and, and everybody else, really. Be like Moses. Honor your father-in-law. Honor your mother-in-law. Like, Seriously. It, sound, it sounds a bit like a command we're going to hear soon uh, on Mount Sinai when, when Moses climbs up there. Not only because, you know, they deserve to be honored, but because they have hard-earned wisdom to pass on to you. They have knowledge. They have experience. Jethro was a priest of Midian. He's done this stuff. He knows how to do it. He's not, this isn't coming out of nowhere for Jethro. They see things that we miss, right? It's hard when you're parents-in-law or your parents see things in your parenting, and they're like, maybe you should pay attention to that because they're right a lot of times. Listen to them. Because God doesn't just speak directly to us. He speaks through other people, okay? And as we learn, if we can learn to listen to our in-laws, that's going to help us listen to other people that we're in community with, okay? So application number two to you mothers and fathers-in-law out there, be like Jethro, Okay? Be wise and discerning in what you pass down to your grown children and children-in-law. Okay, Jethro, is a, he's a priest of Midian. He has earned wisdom. He's earned knowledge. He, he is stewarding. He's a repository for wisdom and life experience. You elders, you have a responsibility to be stewards and bearers of wisdom and knowledge and truth. You're not conspiracy theories and misinformation. Okay? So I was listening to uh, a guy talk. He's evangelical Christian leader, thinker, and he was talking about how he was visiting a, a very, very progressive, very secular university, and he had these you know, conservative evangelical students coming up and talking to him, and he said they were coming to talk to him about one of two things, almost, almost everyone. The first one was, uh, how do I, like, how do I navigate um, holding my basic Christian ethics in this environment, in this very secular a very progressive campus where, for example, maybe just holding that not, it might be accused of being, for example, transphobic. 
Um, so that was one of the first things. How do, I, how do I navigate this? But the second things they kept asking him was, how do I deal with my parents who've been radicalized by social media and are into all these conspiracy theories? Okay? Those are the two things. I mean, imagine uh, these kids, these youth are getting it from both ways. And I think some of the, I, I don't, I haven't done a survey, but I get the sense that some of our youth, some of our Christian youth are looking up to our elders and thinking, this is not wisdom that's coming down to us. They are not, you're not being a repository and bearer of wisdom. You know, rather than good discerning counsel, I think what our youth is seeing is a lot of falsehoods, is a lot of conspiracy theories. And we, you know, we, these, not only are these conspiracy theories not wise, they can, they can be dangerous. We saw, we saw last week as we, uh, at the killing in Buffalo that one of those conspiracy theories about uh, replacement theory was, was at work in this, this man who killed these 10 black people. This stuff is not just, it's not just not wise, it, it's dangerous. And you know what? I, I want our congregation to be radicalized so bad. I don't want our congregation to be radicalized by the political left, political right, and I sure don't want our either, the same way, our congregation to be radicalized by the political left. You know who I want us to be radicalized by? Is Jesus. Is by radicalized by the one who claims to be the truth. Honestly, like there's, I get it, there's a ton of information out there. It is hard to navigate the just tsunami of information that's coming at us. There's so much coming at us so fast. And it's not always easy to figure out what is true and what is false. We get things wrong. I get that. But we need to recognize as Christians, as followers of Jesus, as the one who claims to be the truth, we need to be careful and wise and nuanced and discerning. Like that's exactly the opposite of what our culture tends to reward today. What our culture rewards today is don't do nuance, don't do reflection, just spout it out, whether it's true or not. As, as followers of Jesus, we're going to do the exact opposite. We're going to listen, we're going to be wise, we're going to be discerning, we're going to be slow, okay? Like before, you know, going back to mothers-in-laws and fathers-in-law, before we pass on something to our kids, some story, some video, something you saw on social media, just slow down for a minute and ask yourself some questions. Do I know to the best of my ability that this is true? Okay? Just slow down. If it's true, is it wise? If it's wise, is it edifying like Jethro's advice to his son-in-law Moses? Jethro gave him some hard advice, but he was edifying advice. So here's like, again, I'm going to be really practical. Here's something you could do. Write Philippians 3.8 on a sticky note and just put that on your computer or wherever you do your pushing out of your information. Okay? Go back and read Philippians 3.8, but next time you've got the urge to post something on social media or text something to your kids, ask yourself, run it through this filter, okay? Is what I'm about to pass on true? Is it noble? Is it right? Is it pure? Is it lovely? Is it admirable? Is it excellent or praiseworthy? Okay, and if it doesn't pass that test, don't, just don't send it. Because that's what Paul, Paul is saying, those are the things you need to be thinking on. Noble, right, pure, lovely. That's what I want my kids to be thinking on. I, th I want you to want your kids to be thinking on those things. And if you get something wrong, as we all do, if you pass on something that's not true, that's not wise, that's not discerning, own up to it. 
Here's something, here, here's something that's really radical as followers of Jesus. When we're wrong, we admit it. Isn't that radical today? Like that's, that's how I want us to be radicalized. That it was we, we get things wrong and we're like, you know what, I got that wrong. Because here's another thing that's really radical about following Jesus is there's forgiveness, there's grace. There's not, we live in a world that is sometimes completely graceless. You slip up once and you can be crucified today. That's not the world of Christians. We live in a world of accountability and grace. We live, we saw that last week, our God is so grace-filled. The Israelites get it wrong or wrong again, and God is patiently working with them, which gives us the freedoms as followers of Jesus to just say, you know what, I got that wrong. I want you to see, daughters-in-law, sons-in-law, youth, parents, Moses and Jethro, I think, get it right here. Moses opens himself up to the wise counsel of his father-in-law, he doesn't let his ego stop him from hearing good advice. He doesn't think because he's young, younger than Jethro that he knows it all. He opens himself up to it. But Jethro gets it right because what he passes down to Moses is wise and excellent and true. Like it's not something he found online. It was wisdom earned through his own real-life experience as a priest of Midian. And Jethro's wisdom and Moses' openness to that wisdom and not only benefits uh, Moses, it benefits the Israelites. Okay, I think that, that's what truth and wisdom does. It's it, not just a beneficial for a few people, it benefits society. Both Met, Jethro and Moses get this right. I want to show you one more place that I think they get it right. This is really the most important place in our passage where it gets right. I mentioned earlier that, that when, uh, when Jethro gets to Moses, Moses recounts everything that the Lord had done. And I want you to see, I want you to just watch how Jethro responds to this news. Can you put up that next final slide? Thanks. Jethro was delighted to hear about all the good things the Lord had done for Israel and rescuing them from the hand of the Egyptians. He said, praise be to the Lord who rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians and of Pharaoh and who rescued the people from the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all other gods, for he did this to those who had treated Israel arrogantly. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and other sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat a meal with Moses, father-in-law, in the presence of God. Christopher Rice points out that this is nothing less than the gospel declared, received with joy, confessed, and celebrated. What does he mean? How is this the gospel declared? Look at what happens between Moses and Jethro. Moses begins by telling a story. Moses tells Jethro a story about how God has acted in history for the Israelites. Okay, that's the first thing. A story is told. We're thinking about this. How is this the gospel? Jethro hears the story. Here's a story about how the Israelites were rescued, and he receives it with joy. He responds, praise be to the Lord who rescued you from the hand of Egyptians and of Pharaoh. Right? Good news is declared by Moses. It's received by Jethro with joy. And now we have this great confessional statement by, by Jethro. Now I know the Lord is greater than all other gods. I mean, that is confessional language right there. Okay, Jeth Moses tells the good news. Jethro responds with joy, makes a confession about who God is. He then acts, he makes a sacrifice, a burnt offering to God. And finally, Jethro celebrates the good news. Okay, Jethro has come to the truth about who this God is, and he responds with joy, with sacrifice, and then they eat, they eat a feast. Okay, think about what are we doing when we, when we evangelize? 
We're gospeling. We're doing what Moses is doing here with Jethro. We are sharing good news. We're telling a story. Peter puts it this way in the New Testament. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you might declare and may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Those of us who have committed our lives to Jesus Christ, we have our own Exodus experience to tell about. We've got our own story of rescue, our own story of redemption to say. It's a story about how we were once in darkness, but through God's gracious call, he called us into the light through the life and death and resurrection of our Lord who acted in history to save us. We tell stories all the time. We tell stories about like our kids canoeing in West Virginia. We tell stories about what our grandkids are up to. We tell stories about going to the machinery auction in Rogers. We tell stories about planting tomatoes and peppers in our garden. We tell stories about our favorite NBA team and how they're doing in the playoffs. We tell stories all the time. But do we tell our neighbors and our friends the one story that must be told, the story of God? The story of Jesus who loved us and gave his life for us. We will tell that story again through the bread and the cup at communion. And we will do what Jethro and Moses and the elders did after that story is told. We will celebrate with a feast, the Eucharist.